In today's show, we look at racism, what it is, what it actually looks like, how it affects all of us, and most importantly, what we can do about it. Welcome to the most hopeful podcast on the internet where we look at big, intimidating topics and try to find the tiniest leap we can take to make big changes in the world around us. My name is Greg Clunas, and when we get back, we'll try to find the hope in racism. Now, I'm going to say something that I don't think is going to shock anyone listening to this podcast. Racism is a big problem. In the U.S. alone, as of 2019, and this is from a Pew Research study back in 2019, 65% of those surveyed believe it's more acceptable to express racist or racially insensitive views compared to previous years. 65%. 59% of white Republicans and Republican-leaning people believe that slavery has had not much or no effect on black people in society today. And 77% of white Republican and Republican-leaning people believe the biggest problem with racism is seeing racism where it does not exist. And according to Heather McGee, the author of the phenomenal book, The Sum of Us, it doesn't just affect the groups targeted. Now, in her book, The Sum of Us, Heather McGee explores the history of racism in America and offers solutions for building an inclusive society. McGee begins by recounting how America was founded on principles of racial inequality, which have been perpetuated through policies and cultural norms. She argues that racism has always been used to divide and conquer the American people and that it benefits no one in the long run. Now, here's a few thoughts on how racism affects everyone. Discrimination in housing, education, and employment, leading to less diversity in the workplace, less diversity in our neighborhoods, less diversity in schools, less exposure for those who are in those schools, less understanding of the world around them outside of their own cultures. There is the physical and emotional trauma that honestly exists on a societal level, a trauma that we are all suffering from. Yes, those who are descendants of slaves and those who are, are still living that trauma today and experiencing that trauma today might be hurting more and might be affected more. But white America is very much existing under the trauma of slavery as well, whether they want to admit it or notice it or not inferiority isolation and despair these are all feelings that people who experience racism are dealing with on a day-to-day basis having to question whether or not you are safe in an environment whether or not you are going to be okay if something were to happen if somebody messes with you and you respond in the way that anyone else would respond is there anyone around you who will have your back who will take your side when the police arrive if those police arrive will they assume you are the aggressor or not 
These are all questions that need to be consistently asked when you are a black American or really a person of color living in white spaces. And this is the way that even when you are not experiencing racism directly or causing racism directly, a system of racism creates a divide between people. And that's never going to be good for anyone involved. And in Heather's book, she talks about uh, uh, this story that actually blew my mind. So she tells the story of the pools in the South. So the idea here, and I, I might butcher it a little bit, I encourage you to pick up the book because it's really, really a worth the read. I'm going to try to get her on the show as well so that we can have a conversation about it. So she tells this story about the pools. And essentially what happened is back when the South first desegregated, uh, you all of a sudden had all of these public pools that black kids were now allowed to use. And you could no longer legally say that they needed to use a different pool or that they needed to be separated or anything like that. So desegregation legally had happened, but culturally, socially had not happened. And so you had these white families who were upset that black kids were now allowed to use these public pools. And they felt that that was dangerous and they felt that that was un unsanitary and all of the things that they viewed black people as and still in many ways do today. And so they wanted to make it illegal again, but they couldn't. It's now a law that you cannot make that uh, segregation. So what did they choose to do? Well, instead of allowing everyone to use the pool, which would uh, uh, inarguably benefit their kid as well, because their kids are still able to use the pool. No one is saying that they can't or that they have to leave or anything like that. But that outcome was so negative to them, so undesirable that rather than allow their kids to use the pools with the kids of black uh, uh, families, they decided they were going to fill in the pools. Because if their kids can't use the pools, they're certainly not going to allow black families to use the pools alone. So no one gets to have the pool. And it's this idea of filling in the pools that Heather explores throughout much of the rest of her book, her argument for what she calls zero-sum racism. The idea that racism is such a, a hatred towards a group of people that you would rather deny yourself opportunities, deny yourself and your people the benefits if it means denying the groups that you hate those benefits. Have you ever heard the idea of the welfare queen? This was essentially a marketing and propaganda tool used by the Reagan administration to associate welfare with black Americans. And the idea was that this group of people are lazy, they're poor, they're just taking from your pocket and not contributing to society. So they used a history of racism, a history of educating white Americans that uh, uh, black people were lazy and poor and, and don't deserve support and so on and so forth. They used that and packaged welfare in that. And so they created this idea of the welfare queen, this, this black woman who was just mooching off the state. And they promoted that. And what that created was a situation where white Americans started being against welfare. Or at the very least, even for those who were for it, they started viewing welfare as somehow a negative. If a person ends up on welfare, it's because they have all of these qualities that was embodied by the welfare queen. And so to this day, programs like SNAP 
and and support programs that exist to help those who are struggling in society to lift us all up are constantly attacked and constantly viewed in negative ways. You are seen as a failure if you end up on SNAP. You are seen as a failure if you end up on welfare. To this day, that ideology still exists. And there are many out there who, given the opportunity, would actually get rid of those programs because it started with this sort of tie-in to Black America. When in actuality, when you look at some of the numbers, there's evidence that white Americans take part in welfare or SNAP programs at equal rates, if not higher, than black Americans. So here is this very clear example of how tying uh, a program that is meant to support society, is meant to create a safety net so that we can take bigger risks, so that we can push ourselves, so that we can be better in the long term, is meant to create that support, got tied to racism in order to create this system where now many of us are against it. We are actively fighting against the programs and voting against the programs that would benefit us and our families the most. It's an interesting situation that we found ourselves in. And in her book, Heather really dives into this idea of zero-sum racism. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, uh, view and, and understanding of how this, this disease, this cancer, plays out in our day-to-day lives. Well, what does racism even look like? What is racism? Because a lot of people view racism as treating people differently based on their skin color. They view racism as the individual act of calling someone the N-word or calling someone whatever the derogatory term is for their community. They view that as the racism and anything else that's not racism racism has to be this hatred this this violent act when in actuality it's not and there's actually benefits in viewing racism in this sort of simplistic way of like it's just treating people different based on their skin color because if you view it in this simplistic way it makes it really easy to start believing that well if we just treat everyone the same then racism no longer exists But that couldn't be further from the truth because on the surface, that sounds really nice, right? Treat everyone the same, regardless of skin color. It's no big deal. Boom, racism solved. But in practice, you have to recognize that what that means is no protections for groups who are already behind or being targeted. And if you're already behind, being treated the same as someone who is much, much further ahead only perpetuates the situation that you find yourself in. It only creates more damage. It only keeps you behind. And here's a a perfect example of this. Uh, When suburbs first started becoming a thing, black families were not allowed to move there. They had to stay in the cities and uh, white families got to move out to the suburbs. They got land. They got uh, to build homes and, and start home ownership. And it was this practice called redlining. Now, how do you think that plays out three, four, five, six generations later? Well, now you have entire families that have had a home passed down from one parent to the next, uh, to the child, to the next child, to the next child, that 
history does not exist in the black community, at least not at the same level. I'm sure there are isolated situations where this type of thing happens, but you have generations of black people who were never able to do that. They had to stay in the cities and they weren't allowed to buy in the cities or able to buy in the cities. They couldn't move out to the suburbs. They couldn't receive land for virtually free in order to start building that. And they couldn't do it at the same time as everyone else. That land and those homes are now worth 10, 15, 20 times as much as they were when those families first got them. And black communities don't benefit from that at all. So when you have that and then you say, well, we're just gonna treat everyone the same. Here's this new community, both of you can go there and you can buy a home. Well, one of those families has significantly more money to be able to buy that home. One of those families has significantly more, um, uh, uh, a significantly better relationship with the banks and getting mortgages and going through that process than the other because the other doesn't have that same history and those same opportunities to be able to be at that place. They're not starting from the same point and so treating them equally only reinforces the gap between them. Now, racism, what it actually is, can manifest itself in a number of ways. It could be the individual belief that one racial group is superior to another. That can be the case. Or it can be the set of practices that discriminate against a particular racial group. Or it can be the lack of of policies and the lack of protections for particular racial groups. It could be the existence of policies. It could be the existence of practices that limit rights and opportunities of particular racial groups. It could be the media much more heavily focusing on stories that involve black people over white people. So that's racism as well. Even though there's no policy involved, there's no one out there saying the N-word, that is still racism. That is still a bias towards a particular group and against another. That is still looking for opportunities to paint a particular group in a certain way. Now, according to a 2015 systematic review that collated the results of almost 300 studies to look at how racism affects the physical and mental health of Asian American, African American, and Latinx American people, and I'm of course going to link to this study in the description of this episode, experiencing racism is associated with poor mental health and to a lesser extent poor physical health. There is considerable research to suggest that the stress associated with experiencing racism can have long-lasting physical effects. Stress can elevate blood pressure, weaken the immune system, which in turn raises the risk of developing long-term health conditions. So there is a very big problem here that is affecting everyday Americans across the spectrum. But where is the hope? Well, for that, we're going to turn back to Heather McGee. In the book, towards the end, she tells the story of Lewistown, Maine. Now, Maine is a state that is declining in population, where young people are moving out at record rates. It is historically white and has even elected politicians in recent races on blatantly racist messaging. Maine is not a, the, the place you look at as the bastion of racial equality. However, the city of Lewiston is a little bit different. 
See, according to Heather McGee, they've seen a massive surge thanks to an influx of Somalian refugees. And what this did was it created uh, an influx of new culture. It created an influx of opportunities, an influx of labor, an influx of entrepreneurs, an influx of, of things happening in the area. Enough so that more and more young people are staying rather than moving out. And what this ultimately creates, and you can read more about it in the book, is this very clear case study of what we could look like if we are able to get past racism, where immigration and mixed culture communities could create the country that this country was always meant to be, the melting pot, the experiment that America always was of groups coming from all over the world to come together and create a country that works for all. It's unfortunate that we've never actually done that, but in individual pockets of this country, throughout the country, you can find stories just like Lewistown. And if they are any indication not only are they proof that we are able to live together, but they are proof that by doing so, we can lift everyone up and create a better world in the process. So as always, I've got links to all of the research I did for this episode in the description. I encourage you to read those. I encourage you to pick up Heather McGee's book, The Sum of Us. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal read. Excellent breakdown of how racism affects all of us, this idea of zero-sum racism. Um, but I want to end on this. There is hope here. Racism is a massive problem. It's one that feels impossible to solve. But we're starting to see, at least in individual areas, the benefits of getting past it, the benefits of working through it. And I think if we can see more of that, if we can make it crystal clear why this is important, we'll get more and more people willing to take that leap. But that's just my opinion. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Reach out to me. Uh, my email is in the description of this episode. Uh, or, of course, I've got a poll up on Spotify if you want to answer that. Thank you for being here. I've been Greg Clunas. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take. Every